Hello and welcome to another edition of Talking Basketball Podcast. I am Mark. I am Paul. Hello. Hello, hello. Paul was just about to take a swig of his drink. And I stopped him in the flow. Hey, Mark, we have got... got a big guest. We have got a huge guest today. Huge guest. It does not, does not get bigger than this, it does I not. don't think. Some would say British Basketball League royalty. Yeah, yeah, potentially, potentially. And our Newcastle followers are going to want to listen to this one. Let me go straight into it. Yeah, yeah now, now, stand and cheer for your BBL, BBL Newcastle, Newcastle owner, Paul be a good one for Paul. Had to be. Paul, welcome to the show. Thank you, guys. Well, there's an introduction. <laughs> Does that not happen every time you go in the stadium? Does it's that not happen? It's got to. No, it doesn't. We'll, listen, we'll cut the recording. We'll send you one. You can you can use that on the doors when you, when you go in. We'll just play it. Put it on a key fob every time you go in. <laughs> well, look, for all our listeners, if, if um, I, I'm sure you do know, but we have got Newcastle Eagles BBL owner, Paul Blake with us today. Um, and look, let's just say it straight. Newcastle Eagles are without a doubt the most prestigious club in the UK. They've Absolutely. won more awards than anyone else. Um, and uh, yeah, some some huge, what is it? They're the only club ever to do the triple, uh, sorry, the treble three times. Treble three times. The quadruple. Quadru oh! oh, the quadruple three times. I thought it was the treble. Clean sweep. The clean sweep three times, yeah. Oh, it's the clean sweep three times, yeah. yeah. I mean, that and all of that has been under your tenure, sir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember it all well. That's um, all of it or just some bits a bit flaky? <laughs> yeah, getting more flaky as the years go by, that's for sure. Um, you know, there's uh, my memory's terrible at the best of, best of times. And uh, you try to remember the key games as best you can, you know, but we've we've got a... We've got a good log videotape of as, of as many games as we could possibly have um, in the archive at work. I, I always thought that was very important. Press cuttings and things like that as well, you know. When you have such a prestigious um, effect of winning in not just one category, but multiple categories across the, the UK and you know now stepping in with Europe as well, um, does that what does the pressure escalate every time you win? Yeah, it does. So, so I'd have thought by how many years in am I now? 20, I think it's 27, 27 years in. Um, you get oh, you'd get over the winning and losing and not worry about it so much. But if you you talk to my wife, we can't watch an, an away game at home together <laughs> because I'm shouting at the telly and stressing her out and everybody else in the room. Really, I hate losing with a passion, and I've, I've kind of always said it will be. It'll probably be the only reason that I need to step away from this, because it it's not getting better; it's getting worse. Um, I can't explain that. It's I'm trying to do things to manage that. You know, people tell me I'm quite a um, laid back, rational type of character. I wasn't as a player. My friends will tell you as a player, I was exactly the opposite. And, and I, I carry that a little bit when I'm watching 
So is it the winds are uh, sweeter and you want more, or is it that the, the losses are harder to take? Um, what it what it's become is uh, winds are a relief and losses mean a bad day the next day at the very least, um, uh, and that's the difficult bit. You know, the the not wanting to lose days and not being able to find a way around being down about it. But at the same time, that's that's why we do what we do because if I was apathetic about winning and losing, then um, where, where's the drive? It wouldn't be as special. No, it wouldn't be as special, but you the, the, you have to be driven in a certain way to work in this business um, because it's it's full on, you know, it's roller coaster ride constantly. Um, so you're doing a, a, the best way I've ever been able to explain it is you're doing your normal job and then you've got this thing that happens at the weekend and sometimes in the week that's going to affect your mood one way or another and going to tire you mentally whether you're playing or, or just around it. Um, it's like being a fan times 10. Wow. Yeah. That makes sense. So, no, uh, that makes been, 100%. And, and also, you've got classic examples like your Chicago Bulls, um, Jerry uh, Jerry Klaus. You know, he, he left because, again, he just went, look, you know, it's affecting me. It's all consuming. It, my health. And, you know, that's, that's, that's why he left yeah. Um, yeah. from Chicago in the end. So yeah, no, that makes it makes perfect sense. That that weight of, you know, all that pressure. I mean, it's a long tenure that you've been there. To be yeah. fair, are, are you the longest tenures uh, head of an no. organisation? No, no. So so obviously been around about the same amount of time. Actually, not quite as long as Yuri uh, and Sarah at Sheffield. Ah, okay. I was thinking that it was really yeah. close. I couldn't quite tie it in. But then the kingpin in that in that. Uh, uh, correlation is Kevin Routledge. So Kevin's Kevin's been around for a little bit longer than that. I won't, I won't quote the years. Um, <laughs> obviously, Vince McCauley was around for a very long time, um, and uh, I'm, you know, I'm going to miss somebody out here. But uh, there's a few of us that have seen a lot happen over a lot of years, you know. And uh, um, I think I think to to take the positive from from all of that as well is I, I do. You also have this fear of what's life going to be like when I do step away from this or when, you know, because my wife's very heavily involved as well. And when we both step away from it, um, will there be this, you know, huge hole, um, that, that, you know, has just been filled all these years. So do you think you'd be able to watch a game? Um, funny, I've, I've been thinking that the last few days, bizarrely enough, um, never really thought about it before. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I think I would. I think absolutely I would. I'd be be very um, very conscious of of how the club fared on and off the court after stepping away from it. You know, and I think um, you know if you talk to Kevin, um, Kevin's very very straight. He he won't. This is his. This is him. You know, I've never really said for me that this is all of me if that makes sense you know i've got another life um and i don't want to be working until um it's time to to go you know so so i it's not it's not all consuming in that way for me but um in every other way it is you know i'd i'd um 
I think on behalf of every basketball fan out there, I'd be doing a disservice if I didn't ask you this question as as an owner. Um, when when you actually became the owner of Newcastle, did you ever consider in the back of your mind going, I'm going to sub myself in at some point? Because <laughs> that as you as a everyone in the world just thinks that'd be amazing. I'd be owner the owner. I wait till we're up by thirty, then I'd sub myself in. Well, you're 10 years longer than Mark Cuban, and they actually made that rule in the NBA to stop him doing that exact thing, didn't they? So, I, I would, um, I would never ever have had an interest in doing that. I mean, we've got that, that is that funny line's been thrown many times over the years, you know, because Fab ran with a short bench for a long time for financial reasons, and there'd be games where we literally would only have five players. In fact, we only have five players against Liège, uh, what three, four weeks ago, and brought brought two two guys up from the NBL one team Theo and, uh, and Justin and so there who's been at the back end of our bench all year started that game um so there are there are always times but no I'm you know I just it, it's it's a it's a real business for me it's not um it's not a folly uh I wouldn't ever even if I had to or I had to find somebody else one of my mates to do that who I played with it, 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 this is professional, you know, it's got to be done the right way. Someone, so no, someone must a, have done it. Someone <laughs> in the world must have done it. Well, I tell you what, Paul, let's, that's a, I think that's a great place to start. Take us on your journey. Yeah. So, you, you, I mean, you started out as a player um, and it, I, I think a fellow Northumbrian University you went to, yeah? Yeah, as, as was Newcastle Poly. So, uh, so I moved up to Newcastle in 89. Uh, Graduated in 92, hung around, um, worked for a year and then went back and did a master's degree. And all that time I was still playing. Uh, and as I was explaining, I played National League um, too. So actually, the, the key reason for staying in Newcastle uh, the year I graduated undergrad was because that National League team had started up, which was a team called Sheffield Racers. Um, me couple of ex-Gateshead lads, uh, coach Ivan Whitfield, who was ex-Gateshead, um, some of the lads from the university teams, Newcastle and Northumbria, all, sort of all came together in that team because there was only Sunderland as a, as a National League team in, in the whole region at that point. Um, sorry, I don't know what that was, but um, uh, so so we, we went on that journey for three seasons. Um, had success. It was the same season uh, that Sheffield Sharks, as well as Sheffield Forgers, uh, started out, and we both were promoted one and two, two seasons in a row. Third season, we were in Division One, and we folded after Game Three. Unfortunately, the, the, the club just ran out of money, um, and that was that was kind of, you know, ninety percent the end of my National League journey. Uh, essentially, I did have a li little bit of a spawn song, but um, uh, that was it as a player. Uh, and if I'm honest with myself, I played to enjoy rather than, you know, really work hard and fight, try and find a way to the next level. Yeah, I, so, I, uh, I love the fact that you, uh, Newcastle and Sheffield were going up together. That's brilliant, that is. Yeah. And then obviously Sheffield now in the BBL. Um, and... Uh, so I would caveat that it was it was some Newcastle Gateshead lads playing for a team 
uh, Sedgefield, which is about 40 miles south of Newcastle. Okay. Yeah, because that was the only place that had a, bizarrely, it was the only only place that had a venue with, um, with seats. Newton Acre, 40 miles oh. away. Well, yeah. you know that is definitely a topic we're going to come yeah. on because I know Another you've got you've got a passion again, about that. Venues um, are on top. Yeah. It's I, I I got to ask. It's a, a familiar subject throughout the entire UK, where you have clubs um, that are progressing, they're starting up, they get to a certain point, bam, funding gone. That's it. End of the club. I mean, um, you know, off air we spoke about um, Portsmouth FC Basketball Club. Um, you know, same thing happened there. Um, uh, John, uh, John Deacon, wasn't it, Mark? John Deacon, funding cut, bam, gone. Um, and yeah, like you just said, this the team that you're actually playing for, three games in, four games in, funding cut. I mean, it's a, a story we hear for far too often, maybe. Yeah, and that, that resonated with me as at the time as a player because when you play and you don't take necessarily any interest in in how a club is operating and paying its bills and who's paying for the minibus that's just driven you down the a1 uh again this weekend uh to go and play <laughs> sussex bears or um blimey i'm struggling to even think of some of the teams we used to play back then but uh um yeah so you don't you don't think about those things uh i because of what had happened did start to a little bit at that point, but it was a, f- a few years later that I obviously got involved with the, um, the Newcastle franchise. But it, it's always kind of been a bit front and centre for me that if every club that's that's folded was still around now and had found found a way to be sustainable, um, we probably we probably have ninety two clubs. Yeah, yeah. You know. Well, maybe we have now anyway, you know, maybe we have through the divisions anyway, but you know what I'm saying? It's the, it's the one missing piece in the, in, in the way our sport is delivered in this country. And I've, I've said it on many, many talks before, uh, basketball lacks club infrastructure in this country. It's not, it's okay, but it's not the level of, um, rugby union. It's not the level of cricket and it's certainly not the level of football in terms of, um, as a young person, if you want to, you know, play local league basketball at any age, um, where do you go? Can, is there a local club that you can join and then have an opportunity to play like you do in football in, from, you know, under six upwards or even younger? Um, so, so is it a problem of access? Would you, say say it's, would you say it's a problem of access, Paul? Um, to access the facilities or accessing clubs or... I don't, I don't, right, so here's the thing, it's, it's, it's financial at the end of the day, and it's also um, will, willpower, because ultimately, number one, you can't argue that the, there are not enough basketball courts. There are enough basketball courts, because every secondary school has a basketball court, and most of those schools you can hire after school hours. You're, you're fighting competition of other sports, of course, uh, in, in trying to get the, the space and then you're, you're fighting the cost of that facility um, but ultimately uh, football has the same fight you know pretty much all football clubs um, at, at uh, participation level are run by volunteers um, and they, they find a way to build subscriptions find sponsorship and put teams on pitches that are you know extremely expensive um, we've done the same Albeit that we've had a 
a staff base to be able to make it work. So we've, we've knocked down a lot of obstacles that if you're just a volunteer trying to do this in your evening hours like we are now, it's, it's, it's particularly hard. But, you know, we've managed to, to build 13 uh, junior clubs as part of our foundation strategy. And there are two and a half thousand kids playing in those 13 clubs. And we found the facilities, we hire the hours, uh, we charge a subscription to pay back for the coach and the facility. And we do that 13 times over. Um, and thousands of kids are playing as a result at participation level. So it it's difficult. There's no two ways about it. There are easier ways to spend your evenings. Um, if you're trying to do this as a, as a volunteer, trying to grow the sport, there are massive challenges, uh, not a lot of help out there, certainly less help in the last um, 14 years than there, were, than there was preceding that. I'll let you work out what I mean by 14 years. Um, uh, but there is a way and it is, and, and, and we all know on, on this on this uh, on this talk that um, it is definitely growing and it's definitely culturally way more acceptable um, a sport than it was when I started out yeah and I, I think I, what I love about um, the Newcastle setup is just something really um, s small but hugely effective is that Newcastle logo that goes everywhere, all the way through the kids. You see the kids, and they're so proud. I, you know, was in um, Derby recently. Someone wearing Newcastle Eagle shorts has played on one of the teams, and they kept the shorts. And it was like, you know, that means a lot to have that badge, to have that same kit as what the, the professionals are playing. And I think that's great. Kids love it. Yeah. And that's echoed in the foundation as well, isn't it? Through. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the whole, you know, what a... What have we tried to build? Have, have we done everything right? Um, we, we, I think we've finally done done things right and we've made a load of mistakes along the way to get to the right solution in terms of what we were trying to do. But when I took when I took the club over, so just back on that timeline, I, I'd, I'd um, you know, obviously played, studied. I, then, I ended up in a, in a job at uh, Newcastle United Sporting Club uh, so John Hall, who was the owner of Newcastle United at the time, owned a, uh, sorry, had bought a rugby team, a basketball team and an ice hockey team. And he'd set that up as the three support teams as part of Newcastle United Sporting Club. I was the marketing manager. Uh, and uh, and three years into that project, the football club pulled out. And Sir John basically cleared the debts of the three clubs and gave me and my, my boss at the time, who was Ken Nottage. Uh, the, the the job of selling the three clubs so 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 we took the club over bought it for a pound because it had lost back to the unsustainable nature of basketball clubs uh, Newcastle Eagles 96 to 99 had lost 1.7 million now Sir John the good-hearted individual that he is didn't want the club to fold paid that debt that's so cleared, huge <laughs> that's huge zero. We did that for the rugby as well. He did it for the Falcons and for the Cobras ice hockey too. Wow. Cleared all three debts and said, look, we can't continue, but we know that no one's going to take this on if they're having to encumber the debt, yeah. the debt. So we'll clear it. And um, you, Ken, Ken and Paul, can you find a way to uh, find buyers? So Ken and I looked at, looked at the three and, and uh, 
just didn't have the pockets. Didn't didn't necessarily have the passion for the ice hockey because that wasn't either of our backgrounds. Um, but that's a great sport, um, fantastic sport. Didn't have the pockets for the rugby. Um, and we were both basketball players, so um, you know we did a did an MBO, bought the basketball club for a pound, and back to the point from from that day on. Uh, I'm a majority shareholder and Ken, Ken moved down to Gloucester and was chief executive Gloucester Rugby Club for 12, 13 years. But from that first day, we'd, we'd set a plan out that basically said, look, if we don't try and invest in properly growing what I understand to be um, a pathway for a young kid playing football as I did as a kid or, or cricket as I did in the summer as a kid, and, and put that in place for basketball, build a market of people in the Northeast and people in Newcastle particularly that understand the sport, play the sport and might want to come and watch it. If we don't invest in doing that, this isn't going anywhere. And that was in 99. So, you know, a long time ago now. Um, so we did, we, we did everything we could in those first two, three, four, five years to invest in trying to set a community pathway up a community network to get more and more people playing the sport young people playing the sport and to encourage them to come and watch games and that's just been the mentality from day one never veered from it just we're, we're very clear in that vision um i've had to go all around the houses to try and build it build it to what it is now but um we never thought that was the wrong thing to do uh and, and the rest is kind of history. And that's great because like over that 25 year period, you know, I'd, I'd imagine someone there that you have inspired in that time is going to be the next BBL Newcastle Eagle player, uh, maybe the next Newcastle Eagle owner. Um, and that's, it's just passing that torch and setting up that infrastructure. So that just keeps continuing and, the next the next toast and a moment it seems to be the common theme though with basketball that um people it's very circular and people come as a players and maybe go coach and go to the management front office back office uh, and then leading organizations but it always get, in our recent interviews with a couple of people um they said pretty much the same things that they leave at one end and then they come at the other and then they go full circle back and then they'll have grandkids who they're training and go back into the organizations and say, oh yeah, I've got a taste for it again. And after stepping away for a while, it's, it, it, it's, it's always this passing of the torch. Yeah. Always, always the same. Isn't and it? Uh, again, it was only really, we were talking with Colin Irish yesterday and it was, you know, it was when we said you actually inspired a generation of people to play basketball. And then when we thought about it, it was like, well, hang on. If he and Alan Cunningham and Steve Nelson, Mike Spay, Jason Colg and Carl Tatum, all those players weren't there, you probably wouldn't have the National League Ports of Force that are, has just started up. No. We probably wouldn't be doing this podcast. And mm. it's just that, you know, that, that, that way people do these... M I don't want to say small things, but they do these things that just inspire generations. And that is what you've done. Yeah, well, that's the basketball community, isn't it? Yeah. Ultimately. Um, and that's how all sports grow and prosper at the end of the day. Um, you know, Colin Iris was one of my 
heroes as a young lad, Alan Cunningham, Steve Bontrager. Steve Bontrager, that name <laughs> keeps coming up. <laughs> King, <laughs> Kingston legend. Yeah. Alton, of course, Alton Bird, I'm in touch with Alton still still now. Um, Buck and all the, the, those guys, you know, they. Uh, there was a guy called Ernest Lee at Derby who was the best player I'd ever seen growing up as a young lad. Um, you have to look him up. Uh, and then, and then, obviously, into the nineties, as I as I'm finishing up playing and becoming more involved, uh, you know, the John Whites of this world, Tony Dorsey's, and they're, you know, on the men's side of the game, they're 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 all the the people that switch you on to it and keep give you the buzz and and uh, make you want to be involved, right? So, so at that point of the uh, of the you've taken it on. And you've just then realised, okay, we're now... He's made the decision, I'm not going to sub in. Yeah, I'm not subbing in. We've taken this on. Now what do we do? You've got your goal in mind, which obviously you've stuck to, and it's very clear from seeing the trajectory of the club that you've stuck to that goal and that messaging of getting you the foundation, the youth and, and outreach. But when you're looking at that at that stage, what is it trial and error? Is it how do we do this? And because as you said, you didn't want to make the same mistakes that had occurred previously or? I'm starting out with a level of naivety uh, because I was, uh, well, I joined the sporting club at 26 and I'd taken the club over by uh, 28, just coming up to 29. So, <laughs> and, I, and I was like marketing background. I did, you know, sports studies degree and marketing master's degree and I'd done a bit of marketing work in that period leading up to which is why I got the marketing managers role and um that doesn't gear that that particular discipline doesn't gear you up to to be a um financially proficient general manager owner of a of a club it just <clears throat> makes you keen to spend money on, <laughs> on bright sparkly things in the hope that uh they they bring an audience in you know so so i i, I it's fair to say you know, I made I made a few mistakes in those in those early days. Um, too focused in certain areas. Um, <clears throat> but fortunately, uh, we we I managed to pull some good staff around me from early doors. Um, my wife got involved two years in um, because she wasn't enjoying her job at the time, and uh, we've just we've worked together ever since. You know, it's 2001 to current day. Wow. Which is, uh, yeah, yeah, that's, um, that's I mean, a miracle in itself. <laughs> <laughs> that, listen, there's someone out there going, this man should write a book. He's, just, he's spent 24 years working with his wife. I was thinking the same thing. Like, there's, yeah. You've got some <laughs> something out there, and she can write a book as well. You can like do chapters. He would say the same thing. Yeah, I spent 24 years working with my husband. Absolutely. So, and actually, that's probably way worse. <laughs> but at the same time. <laughs> the other way given what this is and as we've said it's a it's a circus it's you, you during the day you're doing a job and then the basketball plays occasionally so yeah it's a yeah. different type of time commitment and having both your both partners in that they understand which yeah. it would be very difficult to communicate if someone wasn't and they just i won't say did a nine to five but just worked in a more structured way if that makes sense yeah yeah and we um we make a good team because we have different, you know, my weaknesses are strengths. 
<laughs> and she doesn't have any weaknesses. So uh... is the correct answer. <laughs> <laughs> Paul's like she might listen to this. Yeah. <laughs> we could say to the listeners there was a bit of paper that was handed to you as you just uh, said that. But, right. you know, <laughs> but it's just in all seriousness, it's just worked. And uh, and Sam's from a sporting background as well. She was a, a very very high level swimmer and. So get gets it, you know, and actually, you know, you think about the hard work that the playing staff of a basketball team have to put in, and then you look at what a swimmer does. Um, you know, she's she's sort of gold standard and has always been able to hold that as well to say, you know, you guys think you're having a hard time. Well, this is what I did. Uh, and I didn't get paid and I went to the Olympics. Wow. You know, so, yeah, so she w- would not like me telling you that, but uh, she's very... <laughs> Not, not everyone has an Olympian in the family. No, exactly. No, exactly. So, so she's, you know, she really gets it, and that, and that helps. Um, and we've had to, you know, over the years, because I, I am absolutely relentlessly driven with this. Um, we've had to try to put ground rules in place for when we get home. We don't, you know, we don't talk too much about work. That's failed. You know, that's come and gone over the years. Um, <laughs> you have to reset but um yeah it just it's hard to explain really it's a long time well congratulations that's fantastic yeah and i think that just highlights the strength of you know a successful marriage isn't it you know you're working together all that time you communicating know. yeah 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 100%. Um, and again, I, I, I thought the exact, exact same thing just before you start i thought paul could write a book here this yeah. would be great yeah it would absolutely <laughs> be um i got right. I got to ask the question, you know, again, talking about um, people you've worked with, you know, God, God bless him, um, uh, uh, Ken Nottage. Um, again, huge part of getting Newcastle Eagles where they are today. Yeah. Um, it's still still quite quite raw, to be honest. Uh, so we, we were very close. Um, and and I owe everything to Ken really in terms of my journey in this. And you have this in life, don't you? you know there are a small handful of people that kind of define your your own destiny in life. You have those sliding door moments where um, it takes you off in a certain a certain journey. And that and that was uh, Ken. Ken was one of the biggest influences on on, on my life. Uh, no two ways about it. It was Ken that. Uh, gave me the job at the sporting club. Um, you know, I'd previously been playing a little bit with Ken at the Comets um, that pre-season. Uh, we knew each other anyway, um, but not not as well as we got to know each other. Um, and it's just a absolute, you know, as everyone will tell you that that knew him, just an absolute gentleman, um, very funny guy. Uh, very inspiring. Obviously, he was a great player. Uh, you know, he got all that history, Crystal Palace, all the all the way through. You know, he go. He went back to Embassy All Stars, uh, Sunderland. Um, just, just a, just a fantastic guy, and just a horrible, horrible um, situation. Unfortunately, you know, back in the back in the last last year, he he'd been. <clears throat> I'm sure his family won't, won't mind me saying this, but he'd been quite ill um, over COVID. He'd, he'd actually had um, uh, he'd had a type of cancer, and he uh, 
had treatment for that and completely uh, got over the um, got over the cancer, but his immune system was low. So, um, uh, so unfortunately, you know, he he he, he took ill and um, just couldn't couldn't push through it. Uh, so yeah, yeah, a massive loss, massive loss. But but I just you know I have to look back and think of all the good times that that, that we had and great conversations over the years and, and what, what we achieved. If someone came to the stadium and you could say to them that if you see that or you experience this bit, that's what Ken brought to it. What would you, how would you capture that? <clears throat> um, that's a very good question. Uh, well, you could, you could just start with um, over a, over a three month period of time while we were sort of dwelling over do we take the club on or not uh, and that was summer of 99 we were just sat in the sporting club offices all of that summer trying to work out how this how this thing plays out and uh, you know Ken, Ken's words of wisdom all the way through that summer and that's what he that's what I would say above anything else he, he always had wise words and he and he knew how to um put that across to uh, enthuse you and inspire you and pump you up to, to think, yes, I can do that. that. That's what he was about, you know, um, and he would do it himself. So it was always, it was always um, step by step. He was watching over both Sam and I, uh, we would have, you know, sometimes weekly calls sometimes monthly and then over the years it might be every three four months and then it would get more intense again um we would we would just we would just have a lot of time where obviously we were at, we, we were at the wheel and ken was sat in the background or as a mentor really yeah. in everything you know even even up to the build do we do the build are you sure you want to do it that way paul um, maybe we should look at setting it up this way. We would go and meet um, at a local hotel in Newcastle. He would, he would come up and we would, you know, go through all the different different strategies and ways of looking at things. And, 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 you know, really sadly, most recently, because he was just coming into retirement, he was starting to really take an interest in the, the team and the makeup of the team again. Uh, and he would watch every game. Uh, we'd have a chat about it after the weekend. Um, you know, he really liked this year's team. Questioned a couple of pieces and I said, no, I think it's going to work. Um, let's just see how we go. Um, you know, just extremely, extremely sad. So, so I think above, above anything else, he was always that, that, that wise head, elder statesman, um, 100% mental. Uh, and we listened, you know, got to listen, got to listen. If there's one thing I've learned in my life, you've got to listen to people wiser than yourself. I mean, that's what a lovely, lovely words to, you know, describe someone who obviously clearly meant a lot to you and, and mentored you. Yeah. Did you answer? I'm just curious now. You said you and Ken obviously were tasked with selling these clubs. Which of you two decided, hang on, we could buy this? 
Scan's idea. 100%. Yeah, 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 yeah. Same, same scenario. So, absolutely, Ken's idea. Um, Just the way that you're it, describing him, I was thinking, I've got a feeling he's set you up here, going, I can have this idea, and Paul's going to run that. <laughs> yeah. But, but the way Ken was, really smart, and I think actually I would do this the same way. He knew, he knew realistically, it wasn't going to be. Uh, uh, a business that would subsidise both um, both salaries, um, particularly in the early days. Um, he was getting headhunted into various roles because he'd had a high profile in the role that he was in. Um, and he'd had an opportunity at Newcastle just to flip over to the football club, you know, which um, I chose not to do. Uh, so. And again, I'm sure nobody would think I'll be talking out of turn here because I think I've said this many times before. He 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 knew it wasn't that he, he was trying to find a way to negotiate me me round to wanting to do it because I probably did want to do it. I needed talking into it by by a couple of friends, but but he basically said to me that you should be majority shareholder. He didn't say it should be fifty fifty or or I'll. You know, I'm the only person that can really lead this club away, which is true, he was. Um, uh, so I'll take the majority of the shares. He said, you know, you're you're going to be in this day in, day out. You need to be motivated to do it. You need to take the majority of the shares. Now, I didn't have a part in that negotiation at all. Um, but that's what he did. And that's kind of a mark of the man. Others would have done that differently. He's helping you succeed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, motivating, you know, it's smart. It's just motive. What's the motivation? I didn't know what that even meant, really, at the time. It was probably just a, just felt like a nice thing, you know. I mean, I understand better now, but um, uh, yeah, and and that was that was a key that was a key consideration because we were all staring. We all had redundancy packages on the table. Oh wow! Uh, I, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, of course you would. Yeah. So, so I could have just taken the redundancy package and moved on to another job, or maybe moved to to the football club or or wherever. You know, there could have been a number of things that that, that sprouted up. That that's the sliding doors moment again, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. And actually, even more interesting than that, the day before I took the club over, I had an interview at Leeds United. <laughs> oh, um, really? Yeah, and they were still in Champions League at the time. So that's how long ago it was. <laughs> uh, so I drove down to that. That I've been I've been headhunted. It's the only time in my life, apart from Ken headhunting me for the, the role at the football club. It was the second time it happened. I've been headhunted to go and do an interview. I might not have got the job, but I but I went into the interview and uh, I just decided on the way down I'm going to take the club. I'm, you know. I'll take the club over. I'm going to take the basketball club over. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I don't want this job. So I went into the interview and said, I'm really sorry. Um, I've, I've made this decision on the way down. We had a chat for an hour and I came back up again. So another sliding doors moment, you know, we all have those, don't we, in life? Yeah. Um, and and uh, there you go, 20, 25 years later, this August. Wow. Wow, that's really cool. Uh, you I could go Newcastle or Leeds. No, I'm going to own a basketball club. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, yeah, I mean, that's just that's just like right. 
ultimately that's just right place right time yeah and uh, um, it could have been wrong place wrong time because we could have run the club for a season and it folded and, and time moves on you know life moves on and it could have done it could have uh it could have toppled over quite easily a few times in those first two or three years because of my lack of um financial um acumen should we say wow. which is a bit better now than it was <laughs> well that's good to hear I like a spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> well, those early those early years, though, um, it's, I'm not say it's learn learn as you're sort of going, so to speak. But yeah. it was you fail. learn by failing. It is. It bits fail fast and learn and what what can you do next? And then you start picking up other key players, I guess, in, in the story, like uh, fabulous. Yeah, fabulous. That's that's just a great name. Absolute legend, yeah. wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, I that's got to be at the turning point, right? That's got to be a huge turning point for Newcastle. Yeah, and that's no... There's a few things, really. We There's no disrespect to, um, you know, uh, Craig Lynch was my first coach, and Craig had been uh, coach of the Eagles uh, during the sporting club period. And then uh, Tony Garbaletto came in for a couple of seasons. And Tony, Tony could have been with us you know, for the long run, but he, he was headhunted by uh, Birmingham Bullets at the time. Craig Bowen wanted him at, at Birmingham and uh, we had a long talk and, and I said, look, you know, the, the financial deal for him to go there at the time was 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 a really good one. They were talking about playing in Europe. Uh, uh, N- N-E-B-L, N-E-B-L. Oh, Which wow. I suppose it's the same as what we're playing in now, actually. Yeah, it's the same way around, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, so Tony took that hard decision, and we still talk about that today. Um, and uh, Fab was playing for us at the time. Finances were very tight, so um, we, we took this decision that we were going to need to hire a player coach, uh, which is not, you know, the done thing in basketball. Um, and I don't think even now, Fab and I would both agree it, it's not the done thing and it shouldn't be the done thing. We had to do it at the time. I wasn't thinking it was going to be a long-term thing, um, but Fab wanted to play uh, he, and he got the coaching job. <laughs> so uh, so he managed he managed that situation for a, a super long time. And, and ultimately, he he was the perfect guy to have in a player coach role because he's the most unselfish of players you're ever going to meet. Defensive minded, can play one to five, both ends of the floor, um, and just masters of energy. You know, I thought I had a fair bit of energy at the time, but this guy, like, it's just a whirling dervish. So, and he still is today. Still is today, running up and down with uh, NBA guys. He's just turned fifty. Where was uh, he? Because he went with um, he went with Nick Nurse. Nick Nurse in Toronto, to wasn't it? Went to Toronto, and then they've just gone to Philly now, haven't they? Okay, yeah, that's right. So he's done. He's he's in season two, Philly five, five over there. Wow. Five. Yeah. Can season I just five. say something? A bit. A bit. And I, I, I genuinely believe this, where um, Ken pushed you and where you went ended up um, being a, a, a hugely successful 
yeah. owner from where we're sitting, you know, what you've done for coaching staff who are now in the NBA. Oh, there's honestly, there's those, I'm, I'm so like personally proud of what, what Fab's achieved, what Nick's achieved, what Chris has achieved. Because, you know, I was pretty close to all, all of these guys for quite a long period of time several years ago. Um, we went through lots of different stuff. Nick was on the board for a while while he was, you know, Brighton Bears owner and probably more, more than one occasion. Um, and that's a guy. Nick's a guy with unbelievable energy. Chris is a guy with, like, unbelievable energy, super organized, um, just obs- all three of them completely obsessed, obsessed with basketball, like to a level I can't, I cannot understand. Um, <laughs> That's why they're in the NBA. That's why they're there. Yeah, yeah, no question. And all, and, and all three of them have different attributes. And, and obviously, you know, Tim Lewis has been out. Um, is, is still out. He's been working with with Chris at Minnesota. Um, You've got guys like Phil Handy that played at Manchester Giants for Nick. Um, you know, there's no no surprise. Fab is where Fab's at. Nick wanted Fab um, for good reason. Nick recruited Fab to Birmingham in '94. That was so, original uh, step. Yeah. The uh, same applies with Finchie. You know, they've just they've just done a just an unbelievable job and I'm really really proud of, of, of all three of them Nate Ryan King as well Nate's at Cleveland um, it's just great it's just great to see that story it's a great story isn't it I mean it's the talk same. about writing books those, those guys can certainly write books but you've also got one of your uh, your own Tosan yeah yeah Memphis Which again, De- well Detroit uh, I think pre-season and then Memphis and then now in Detroit again yeah, he's, I think he's just sat in a he's, he's in a ten day contract with Detroit as we speak. Obviously, the yep. had the All Star game this weekend, some of games, um, and and well, again, just what a stand up character uh, came from the academy. Yeah, came from the academy. Uh, extremely intelligent, uh, phys- fantastic physique extremely coachable very very likable young man um and just super proud of him whatever he does to be honest super proud of him but i think he'll just he's the type of because he's a sponge he will just get better and better he's he's an intelligent basketball player as someone in your position do you see these guys coming as like when you see them as a youngster do you look at them think yeah he could go there he could go all the way is that it's possible? So, is it something no, that evolves? It's so hard. It's so hard to read. It's so hard to read. And uh, um, you know, we're set up here in the in, in the top right hand corner of the country, and we we are a little bit um, out on a limb in terms of the programs that exist here. There aren't multiple programs. We're not sitting a sat in a conurbation like Manchester where there are multiple programs and and kids and going up against each other from multiple programs on on a weekly basis at a, at a very high level yeah, or london they'd have the same or, thing or london them. particularly yeah. Yeah, of, of course london so um so it can it can be hard to see 
and and you've got that X factor that we were talking about a little bit earlier before in, in that you just don't know what is going to mentally uh, enter a young man or, or, or young lady's mind when they're reaching that, that critical point, 16, 17, 18. Are they playing to enjoy or, or are they really committed to put everything else in their lives to one side to, to go on this journey to, to get better, to try and get to the next level? And it, and it really is nine out of 10 times. It's that mental piece. That's yeah. the difference. Um, you know, is, is it true that somebody with less talent and a greater work ethic can go further than, uh, the, the, the talent with no work ethic? Well, it's not, it's not quite as simple as all that, is it? That's, that's generalizing, but there is something in that. And if you've got both, both you've got talent and work ethic, then you're really giving yourself a good, uh, a good opportunity and physique of course yeah well look let's just talk about talent mark you brought fabio up um a bbl great yes no question no question at all have you got his stats up there I I know, no, there, I there we have got a piece of paper with his stats where is it uh i don't have the stats on here not this one you've got stats oh no this is what happened. We have so many notes. <laughs> We've got like 10 pages of, of, of notes. I can tell um, you how many trophies he won at Newcastle. Yeah. And he, and he won a bunch more. Well, he won 24 at Newcastle. But he won but he won a bunch more. Obviously, he was at Sheffield. He was at Birmingham. He still holds lead records, I believe. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. does. He does. Um, and, and, you know, number of games coached, number of games played. Yeah. Uh, but he, but he was no, he was never going to win a scoring record because that wasn't what he was about. Uh, it wasn't that he couldn't score, he could score, but um, particularly in that period of him being a player coach, his his whole it took him. So when did he get the, he got the coaching role in oh, 2020, uh, 2002, I'm going to say, and we won our first trophy um, at the Brighton Centre against Nick Nurse's Brighton Bears. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, 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 in 2005. How does that feel? Winning that first one, that was amazing. That was amazing. Yeah, that was that was pretty unbelievable. Not least because, um, you know, that was the season Nick had had Dennis Rodman at the club. And, yes, uh, it was. That was the year. It was like, was it four games Dennis Rodman played? Was it or something yeah, like that? that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but they had a decent team anyway. They had a really decent team that season anyway. So, and this was us kind of breaking through, breaking through that wall. We'd nearly, we'd lost the, the, the league title the season before. God, I'm going to get this wrong. Chester Jets had won the league the season before at, on, in the last game of the season, beat us on our court to win the league. That was painful because we've made that whole journey from Fab being coach, had a couple of indifferent seasons up to up to just just you know being in the one-two spot, um, and uh, and then we just that that um, actually that might have been the same season even we lost the league. We won the trophy in two thousand and uh, 
2005 and then two months later we won the playoffs against Cheshire uh, so we won the two trophies that season yeah you did yeah the BBL trophy winners BBL cup winners 2005 yeah uh, playoff winners 2005 on playoff playoff winners 2005 and then and then 256 was the next season uh Andrew Sullivan had, uh, was it was a year out of uh, college um Tony had had a Tony G Tony Gobelet had had a really long chat with with Andrew about um you know you need to find a season to settle down somewhere um he'd come out of Villanova had had a great college career um and we managed to just about pull a pull a package together and Andrew listened to, to Tony and and came to us for that season that was the same season as the Commonwealth Games <laughs> I mean that that's the craziest season of all really because uh that was the first um quadruple that was the first clean sweep uh and we did the clean sweep whilst losing Bab and Andrew Bridge and Andrew Sullivan to the Commonwealth Games in Australia for a month. Wow. I think we played four games that month and won them all without those three guys. They must have been looking at the results come in going, we're good, we're yeah. all right. Yeah, <laughs> well, they were, they were happy anyway because they won a bronze medal. <laughs> Blimey. Crazy, honestly. I look back at that season. It was incredible incredible season so um so that was 2005 six and then it just it rolled for quite a while and then leicester got ahead of steam and uh you know uh there was a, a bit of a change in the guard of the guard i i would say i mean uh, i look back at it now you know we won our last trophy in 2021 okay so we haven't we haven't uh I've been long out of it, but but there's obviously been more changes of the guard since, and and things have elevated very quickly in the league. It's extremely competitive now. And that was the cup, wasn't it, that you won in 2021? Uh, playoffs beat London Lions in the playoffs. Oh, and the cup. And the, oh, and the cup. Yes. Yeah. Look, you look at these. Uh, I mean, it's it reminds me of like. Um, you know, Formula One, where you just see Michael Schumacher win, yeah, win. for six seasons, win. or was it five? No, six seasons, and then lose, and then he's back. Yeah. Hamilton, five seasons in a row. It reminds me of that. BBL Championship um, season winners, 2005, 2006, 2007, and 8, 8, 9, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 14, 15. That is amazing. Playoff winners, 4, 5. Five, six, six, seven, eight, nine. I mean, there's just continual success at the club since you've been in charge. People must have really grown to dislike Newcastle winning all the time. Yeah, probably. Probably. Um, and it's not, you know, I don't want to give any of them back, of course, but it, it's not. The, the whole context of conversation for a period with there was it's not healthy for the same team to keep winning all the time. It's not good for the league, and and that's and that's correct. It's not good in any sport for that to happen over a too long a, a period of time. But but ultimately, coaches change, players retire. Mm. You have a cycle of recruitment, um, and if you're not like on top of that constantly. Um, 
uh, and, and keeping an eye on the competition around you. And equally, there are things you can't control in that. Or, or clearly, that that there might be, there might be somebody comes along that wants to invest at another level in a club, and that will happen for a period of time. Might happen forever. Might not. And we had our battles across those those seasons. You know, Guildford were extremely strong for a couple of seasons. Everton Tigers came, Mersey Tigers, Everton Tigers came along for a short period there. They were they were super strong. Um, so there were there were always those periods. Um, and I, I, I never forget Andrew Sull- you know, Andrew Sullivan winning the league with Everton on our court. See, a couple of seasons after leaving us. So those things, you know, although those things put chips on your shoulders and give you a motivation, nothing personal with, with Drew at all, you know, very successful player, but you don't want people winning the league on your court. No. <laughs> not with the eagle. No. Not with the eagle there. Absolutely not. No team does, whether it's us or Sheffield or, or Manchester or anyone. No, nobody wants that to happen. That serves as a motivation. Fab was always really good at that, and he still is now. Finding things to motivate the players. There might have been a press article that day that will get stuck up on the changing room wall. Oh, brilliant. Old school, love you know, it. Something, yeah. yeah, something's being said about us. Um, just finding things, which is... You know why? Why you should always be really keen not to, um, not to give that opportunity to anyone else. You know because it works. There's no question of that. So yeah, I mean, just unbelievable career. Um, and obviously, no, no doubt, you, you talk, we'll talk about Darius as well, um, who was here that whole journey um, and has won 27 trophies. So. 27 trophies it's just like how many have you won i've won two or three i won 27 okay and i think for me as well yeah it's crazy (laughs) having been through that whole period where a bit like london are this season you know they'll probably lose four or five games maximum in the season and and you just we, we had a lot of seasons like that um where you just don't lose really you know, one of those losses will be in the last two games of the season when you've already won the league. And to have gone through that for a long, uh, an elongated period of time to come back into a situation now where we've been, you know, particularly the last two seasons where we've been ninth and eighth, um, is, is tough. And that's really where I come back to what I was saying earlier about mentally. Um, that's That's the hardest thing to deal with, you know. And, and I didn't have to deal with that for such a long time, which I'm very thankful for, <laughs> of course. But actually, you look at the you look at the league now and the level of competition in the league. There's no hiding place. No. You'd probably argue there were some hiding places over the years um, for lots of different reasons, franchises that would come and go. Um, but but you know, Plymouth, you know. We just got over the line against Plymouth on Friday. Then they beat Leicester on Sunday, uh, and and they're, I think, the bottom, aren't they? Yeah, the bottom of the league. That 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 is not in the traditional sense of, of this league, a bottom of the league team. It just isn't. Well, that what's great about this season in particular for the, oh, I'm not. I was going to say neutral. Maybe not neutral. We've we've got teams we we like each and stuff like that. But. Um, it feels like anyone can beat 
well, it feels like you've got a pyramid of one with London <laughs> and then everyone can beat everyone else. Yeah. 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 And and we all want to try and find ways to beat London, knowing that <laughs> ultimately their their budget is just you know, and it's a topic of debate, isn't it? But their budget clearly is significantly higher than the rest of us. But um I think and I think this is the, the real the real key. Uh everybody in the league now, in, in all of the organizations, is it is at a level of um experience that they know what kind of team they need to put on the floor to stay in and even win games. And that I you know, and nobody gives up. Um, I mean, there'll be the odd game, there'll be the odd blowout game, but teams don't don't uh, roll over. Um, you could argue that that might have happened a little bit going back several several years. That if you were you taking the team out by end of the third quarter, the fourth might might just be to see the game out, you know. Um, but that that's not. You're always expecting the team to come back. At the moment, I, I certainly am, you know, and I think that's slightly due to our experience the last two couple of seasons. But um, yeah, yeah. So, so almost regardless of the budget, and Cheshire is the prime example of that this season. That's a hell of a team, hell of a team. Yeah, like R and Rye, like get him oh. from the the NBL. He comes, he comes up, and it's like, I mean, his performance in the um, in the trophy, the final against yeah. London. It was like, wow. What a performance. I loved um, it. I am just like, I'm super impressed with that young man. Yeah. He is, again, you come back to, um, you know, high basketball IQ player. I mean, he's one of the highest IQ players. And this is just a just personal opinion. Maybe I don't know enough. You know, coaches might tell me something different. But he is one of the highest IQ basketball players in this league I've ever seen. Um, Particularly as he's not really playing above the rim, but he can play above the rim. His Euro step is just off the charts. And his ability to stop, start, speed up, slow down. I've been watching him again on uh, yesterday against Caledonia. He doesn't miss much. No. He really doesn't. He makes smart passes. He can bring the ball up. You know, I don't see him turn the ball over very much. Um, you can tell I've been watching him closely. Yeah, just <laughs> he, a little he, bit. <laughs> but that takes nothing away from the rest of that team. They're, they're, no. they're just a very well put together team. And Cheshire, you know, all plaudits to them, recruit extremely well. Always have done. So, so you've got that, and that's why a Cheshire can beat a London in a final. Yeah. You know. And that was a great final. That was, great. That was actually a great final. Great final. Um, I, was, I was just looking up some of the stats from the final, actually. Um, but that that I mean, just when you're you're talking about that with that sort of player, um, one of the the marketing communications from the league that I saw out there somewhere, and someone had interviewed or put something out about oh, how they impressed they were with someone who'd stepped up from a lower league into the yeah. DBL and made it yeah. like that step, and it didn't. I wouldn't say it didn't read so well, but it actually was uh i'm not saying condescending but you actually looked at it and thought uh he's he's got the highest stats on that team yeah. so it's not a case of oh well done you 
it's actually oh you're like leading the team here at the moment <laughs> yeah 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 forget yeah yeah it is yeah and, and it is very you get where you've come from yeah. you get where you've come from because i mean we i'll be honest we you know i'm sure mark won't mind me saying this we looked at aaron last season and the season before really yeah 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 because he was coming out of college and and uh mark Mark Elder can be coach at Newcastle Uni. We're, we're, we're a tight, you know, programme as in, as in Newcastle Uni uh, D1 team. Mark had, had scouted him. Um, we, Mark had talked to him about coming to play at Newcastle Uni and studying at Newcastle because he's a super, super smart individual. Um, so, yeah, we, we kind of had, had two bites at that. But other clubs would have as well in yeah, the league. Yeah. You know, we were, everyone was talking about him, but it was Cheshire that made it happen. So, you know, fair play to them, full credit, full credit. And uh, and I hope, you know, in terms of that, if I go back years and years, you know, when the uh, the, the, the D1 was, was a, as I think it is again now, was a very strongly good audience basis across, across the clubs. You know, this was just sort of back end of me playing. Um, it, then, it then took a bit of a dip obviously some of those clubs were coming up to bbl like plymouth um like worcester uh but i look at it now and um you know there's some there's some super well-run clubs in that division and all, all doing a you know seemingly doing a very good job and they're you know in terms of participation the closer that these two leagues can be together the better because that's that's what works in other sports in this country you might have a slightly different view than some of the other uh, leaders of the teams because you were, in fact, uh, the BBL chairman for a tenure. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. so when you did do that, how did that impact how you were viewing the club? Or did, did, did one, I want to say, was it a case of I'm looking behind the curtain or I'm seeing other things at play? Did that change things? Um, well, what I would say is we all... Um, all the clubs in BBL are very close. The owners are very close. We all have an equal view of, of what's happening behind the scenes. Uh, and that period that I was chair, I don't believe I really had any more of a view than I would have done if I wasn't the chair, particularly at the time, the way the board was structured. Um, every club had a seat on the board and we would meet every five, six weeks. So. Communication was really strong, uh, and um, and we were. You know, I've told this story many times before. We had a we had a, a hiatus uh, early two thousands uh, with the where, where we for good or for bad we'd left Sky uh, to go to what it is eventually was ITV Digital, and the financial contract that sat behind that was a no brainer. We had to make that move. Um, but unfortunately it all collapsed and it, it collapsed because of the deal that ITV Digital had done with the Football League and it was the Football League that took that, that whole project down and us with it uh, and what what happened uh, in those those years uh, those three, four, five, six, seven years after that was you know, unfortunately, the the league and the clubs having to find their way back from that deal 
uh, collapsing and we lost clubs you know the likes of london towers uh, disappeared um manchester giants disappeared just before that deal collapsed uh and it was tough and that was that was just about the same period that i took over as chair so that that whole period was was trying to rebuild the top league um uh whilst there were probably as few national league clubs as there had been in that period just an extremely difficult time and uh you know thank goodness we're, we're, we're a long way out the other end of that but it was it was a tough period just trying trying to um keep the whole thing alive uh so so we were all we were all super close because of that we were all just taking baby steps trying to do the right thing uh, and that's where it really cemented for me that actually you know the most important thing here is to build a club with a with a full-on pyramid system and and some you know not a not a house of cards something that had some weight uh and some stability behind it and that all the clubs needed to be that way we weren't just a tv product yeah. we needed the tv needed to be the cherry on the cake not the uh the thing that that meant we would survive or or, or fall which unfortunately at the time was the case for one or two clubs. So um, so I think we, we're much more in that position now than we have been. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's exciting times. Is that why, um, I don't want to say there's reluctance because I think everyone hopes about getting more teams in the league. But is that is that kind of the basis of... Um, bringing new franchise into the BBL, it's making sure it's got that financial structure, that stability. That's gonna like look. We want we want more teams in the BBL, but we want them around for 10, 20 years, not one season and they financially fold. It's a it's a tough balance. It's a tough balance, and uh, you know we we we've obviously chosen to take an investor route uh, to speed up that process. Um, we clearly are looking for for new franchises they are they are out there there are multiple discussions going on uh but for me personally what needs to come with that is is a, a business model uh that works for all clubs now we're we're in we're in a a, a great position ourselves because we managed to by hook or by crook get ourselves a building built have a strong foundation uh, and have all the pieces in place to build a reasonable turnover for a club at this level. Um, uh, great fan base, uh, just just a lot of, hopefully, you know, what continues to be a lot of stickability around what we're doing. Um, that means that it just, it'd be very, very difficult for it to disappear. And, and what underpins that more than anything else is the building. So. Yeah. And I know that, I really know that now. I, I thought I knew it when we were in the process of trying to get the building over the line and Leicester and Kevin with their their um, journey and now Sheffield, Yuri and Lisa with it. Yuri and Lisa, excuse me, Yuri, she'll kill me. Yuri and Sarah um, with, their, with their journey. Um, I'm going to say that again, Sarah and Yuri with their journey. Because we've all been through... Um, We've all been well. All three parties have been through a very long history, and now we've all been through that building history. So, uh, and obviously, 
uh, Steve and, and, and what Glasgow have done, excuse me, what Caledonia have done, uh, Glasgow historically. Um, obviously what the Bristol guys are trying to do with their build as well. This is all, for me, that's a sustainable building block, the, the building itself. Um, you know, uh, hopefully, hopefully, Surrey will have those plans. Manchester are in a building that, that you know, is, is a good level for BBL right now anyway. It needs to be, it needs to be part and parcel of any future franchise's strategy because it is the piece that will make it sustainable. Yeah. <clears throat> so, so we know that, I suppose what I'm trying to say to you is we have that knowledge now. Didn't have that knowledge for, for a few decades prior to that. So we know what we're saying to new franchises coming in. And, but ultimately, and this is, this is how professional sports work. Um, any, any successful pro sports business model, look at the Premier League, the vast majority of the Premier League's income does not come from the club's local income streams. It comes from um, the Premier League itself distributing funds to those clubs via massive TV deals globally. Uh, just, just you know, um, premium level exercising of their global rights. And in our own small way, we've got to try and find a way of, of replicating that. Can, can I just talk about one thing? And it, literally what you were just talking about, which is the virtue, mo how do you say it? Virtue, the virtue, Mark shaking virtue. his head as soon as I said uh, it. Virtue. The, the, the virtue Motors Arena, That's um, right. which arguably has got to be the greatest thing that you've been involved in bringing to Newcastle Eagles because that is just such a great venue. And I've got quotes where you've been saying that this is now the foundation, like exactly what you're saying, foundation for what clubs should be. And when you, you know, you, you see the venue, it's it's one of the, well, one um, of the nicest in the league. When you watch it on telly, particularly, the atmosphere there always yeah. looks like it's, it's absolutely good. And I like the fact that the seating actually goes all the way around yeah. as well. Yeah, um, that's Four side is the four side is very important to me. I thought I thought that was we had to do that. I mean, I, as always with with these things, if you have your time again, what would you have done slightly differently? And and I've told loads of people that we're going to knock the back wall out. And uh, uh, that stand that's in cam review, the plan would be to double the size of that stand. And I think once we achieve that in that building on that uh, that footprint, that's probably probably about as far as we can take it. That would add two courts as well, so we've become a five-court hall in one in one space. Wow! Look at what Leicester have done. Leicester have, have since building the original three-court venue. They've got another two-court hall right beside. Um, you know, Kevin's done an amazing job to get to get that up in the period that, that that he has. So, so we're all we're all sort of chipping away, finding ways. Um, I can tell you. Everybody in the league works super hard. I've worked in four sports. There are some sports in this country you do not have to work hard in. Political statement, but it's true. <laughs> I've, I've been in that environment. Um, uh, and unfortunately, we are not one of those sports. Mm. We have to fight for absolutely everything. Absolutely everything. And... Uh, 
Where, where do you sit? In your arena. I, I, I was saying in your arena. Do you know what we call it on the show, your arena? We call it the, the oh, Eagles. Where do I sit? We I call it the sit. Eagle's Nest. Where do you sit in the Eagle's Nest? I don't. I don't. I, 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 uh, I walk up and down on the back of the balcony on the uh, camera side. Uh, <laughs> as far away from the referee's ears as you, as you can get. <laughs> do you know what I'm visualising? There's a film called Moneyball. Have you ever seen that? Yeah, and and Brad Pitt's like he he's a bit like that. That's what I'm visualising. Oh, yeah, You're he, Brad Pitt he, now. In, he in... refuses to go to the games, doesn't he? He absolutely refuses to go. Yeah, I I just struggle to watch. So you know, it's playing back to what I said earlier, and I I just get I get very nervous with it. Um, uh, and I have immense respect uh for play although i probably felt differently when i was a player but i have immense respect for players going out night after night in in what is a win-lose game you can't draw um and getting yourself up mentally across that period of time uh to to want to go out and win and, and i keep coming back to especially in this league at the moment because every game is a dogfight every yeah. game yeah that's really why the is. league's so good this year yeah, that's why yeah. it's so good because you, you you look at the you know you, you look at the results and you go wow someone actually just managed to beat Leicester at home oh yeah you think wow okay but, that, um, but those things around the building and, and everything that you've done there to get to that stage yeah you you got it all in the ground everything was going um, and then obviously we had lockdown oh, and yeah. as you said you you built that up you built this whole that there's the i want to say the chair on top you've got that foundation you've got that wonderful building lockdown actually and yeah that all, all came them. around that time the building's ready to go bam lockdown it is was, that about yeah, right year after wasn't it yeah, it's 13 months so so we opened january 2019 and you know as i've said before we, we hadn't sold a can of coke in our lives just not done any of that we didn't outsource any of it because we wanted to learn the hard way how to uh the catering out. side of stuff that you mean. Yeah, how to work out the secondary spend. Um, you know, creating a good service when you know there are going to be multiple queues in a venue where it's not as big as we would have liked to have been. Um, so the space isn't necessary there to, 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 you know, to make sure everybody's getting served in the way that you'd want them to be. Having never served anyone before trying to do it ourselves rather than outsourcing it which would have been a lot easier to do but we would have learned nothing and we would have lost the margin so and obviously the big part of what a lot, a lot of supporters um don't know is the business uh, of the building is operated by the foundation not the club so the building is actually owned by the foundation so all of the secondary spend that's generated in the building goes to the foundation not the club so uh, so i so i spent all this time on on talks over the years saying that we've got to get control of our, all of our income streams and our secondary spend and so on well actually that that part still goes to the to another organization but that other organization is part and parcel of what we are so now that there's no problem with that at all because uh you know the building has a mortgage and the most important thing right now is that that mortgage is is paid and every, the activity of the building is fully covered and the foundation can help in so many other ways with the club anyway you know it's building a 
a market ultimately more and more and more young people playing that we 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 softly persuade to come come and watch a game every now and again so it just all becomes a bit of a a win-win you know hopefully self-fulfilling prophecy that the pro the pro teams men's and women's are the role models that bring bring the youngsters in that want to you know aspire to be that form this this bigger community and it all all becomes part of that economy that hopefully just keeps us keeps us sustainable so uh, yeah so that that's why i know the building is great covid though as you say um panicked us for a bit because <laughs> I can you know, imagine. 13 months in we were the we were the last team to play a game with Solent in the trophy final. So in Kestrels. Yeah. That's, that's when right. they had their good run. That was like the last game. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that was the last that was the last game of the season was the trophy final at Glasgow. Uh half my team had decided to that they needed to go home. So we, we went up to that final with six players. Uh, you know, you can argue the wise and the way of that should that game have been played even. Castro's had a good team as well because that, that's just down the road. They had a good team and they had won uh, the NBL Div 1 four years in a row. Yeah, and, and that's they're one of those examples that you were talking about earlier where everything's happening and they were like, we want to come in, but they couldn't get because they don't have the, the capacity. I think they got maybe 500 seat capacity. It's a, like a purist basketball court, but yeah. it's, it's like... Um, Zero it's like Surrey goes up one side, but there's only about... I'd say 500 tops. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, yeah, 550, maybe. But, um, like yeah. Bristol. Yeah, yes. Bristol's about 700, isn't it? Whereas I think you're at 3,000 or something, like. Right? Yeah, we're just short of 3,000. So, and, and again, I mean, we'd love to see a Solent team, uh, or I would personally love to see a Solent team back in BBL. I mean, we played, I played against Solent when in those, those early National League days. Um, but uh, but they're, they're, I mean the building blocks are are the building blocks, aren't they? You know, if you haven't got the facility, then you've got to find a way to get a facility at some point to be able to play at, at this level. Otherwise, we haven't got the aspirational um, uh, narrative around what what the league is in order to garner investment and try and move the thing forward. You know, to then become more competitive in Europe and keep keep moving up that ladder you know uh so um so yeah so, so just to very quickly answer that COVID question um we were a, a vaccination center for 10 months oh right Hundred and twenty thousand vaccinations through the building um we uh we were extremely lucky to do the naming rights deal with uh with, with virtue motors during that period uh robert forrester came on board during that time and it was just, I mean, they're an unbelievable story of a company anyway, but uh, for, for him to do that at that point in time was was an absolute lifesaver. Um, and, and a few other things that had happened during that that, that period uh, got us through. Um, all sorts of little projects were going on. Newcastle College, who are an anchor tenant of the facility, um, stayed open during during the COVID period so they still had lessons at our venue and we would go in every morning open the building sit in reception the management team most of the staff were furloughed uh, and the management team we just we just went in and opened the building for for a year 
essentially. Uh, very, very strange existence, but but we got through it. Find a way. We always find a way. I mean, it's been a, a very successful on the court, but clearly, obviously, you've got had a quite a lot of off-court success as well as an organisation. So, with sport changing as it is constantly, things like fan expectations and the technology and media and stuff. What? How do you? I want to say stay on top of that, but how do you embrace that and try and? You know, you've got 3,000 uh, seats to fill and you want more, but you actually want people queuing to say, sorry, we can't get in tonight. How do you, what is the recipe that you've got for that? Um, again, it comes back to building that, that, that market of people in the immediate region that have a, uh, an understanding of, of our sport and they're not coming into this completely blind. That said, you know, we're, we're 20 odd years in never really had less than 50,000 people come in a season in all of that time uh, of which you know a reasonably small percentage of the 50,000 are coming to every game you know the season ticket holders so you would think you know do the do the maths there's at least a million people um, so so we we should be pretty well known but the, the fact is we we are we are we are way better known in our in, in our immediate area than, than we were when I when I took over. But um, uh, we're still we're still slightly behind the rugby and obviously a million miles behind the football in in terms of uh, the usual challenges that our sport has. Press coverage, particularly national press coverage, which props any successful sport up in this country. Mm. Um, our regional, our regional TV, regional radio, regional press has always been good for a long, long time. Uh, we have to fight a little bit to make sure that we're not forgotten. But as long as we're communicating and we're putting calls in and saying, "Fancy coming down and doing something," it's, all, it's always a yes. It's never a no. Do you, do you uh, think the the funding um, from things like Sport England and so forth are the best? appropriated for oh it's terrible isn't and... it for the for like where, where are we in the where's but sorry i say we where's basketball I think in it's the just each rankings. in the top 10 in in sport england for the money that they put in in this this do project. you have the list there uh i think it's actually on the computer that you were using oh, okay there. but it's um uh, i think uh the number one was cycling i think it was sport england and yeah, basketball, no, basketball makes the top 10 number two understand. is volleyball that's right. Sorry, netball. 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 But which is which is dominantly played by women. It's incredibly so this whole system and I've and I and I understand it implicitly because uh that the, the period I was chair um I um I helped set up the all parties group for basketball, uh, myself and an MP from Sunderland. Uh and I was up and down to Paul Kelly's house and the uh, House of Commons. Um, I'm going to say uh, once every two months for four years. Really? Uh, I've got a real good understanding, along with along with others. Um, um, you know, Kevin Kevin got quite heavily involved and still is with that. Uh, the governing body are all three. Well, all three governing bodies over a period of time. British body. Um, and it, it's. Trying, trying to change culture in terms of the decision makers and the power base of sport 
in government is extremely difficult and it all and a lot of it comes back to as it as it is in as, as you'd understand on a local level you know is a kid going to play basketball in school if the PE teacher doesn't teach basketball yeah right is a government department going to change the decision if the uh, core of the MPs that are making the decisions never saw basketball because they never came close to a school that was even going to have a ball in their sports hall because of the schools they went to but then you could argue any kid could you could give them a ball and they can bounce anywhere whereas yeah. uh, you need a, a court to play badminton and yet they get yeah. over three million extra in funding but if you want it but if you want to change the 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 power broker's decision making as to where the funding should go to help enable that. Yeah. It helps if they have experience yeah. with basketball. So yeah. If they went to a school that didn't probably didn't even play football. Rugby, cycling, rowing, cricket. Yep. And athletics. <laughs> Tennis. <laughs> Tennis. To, then 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 you you re- you start to recognise actually this is quite a quite a big big wall we've got to break down yeah. here. Yeah. Uh, um could we do a better job of that as a as a sport collectively? Absolutely, we could. Do we have the resource, the time? Are we all too stretched? Uh, yes, we are, and, and that's that's one of the biggest challenges, really. But we certainly, I mean, you know, I wouldn't want to talk out of turn, but I, I do have very strong opinions in that area, and I've I have a lot of a lot of data from that period that would that would back my argument up. Um, I think, unfortunately, for me personally, and I've said this consistently over a number of years, so I'm not saying anything different now, we have to do a better job of um, building our club infrastructure nationally. And I actually think it's a lot better right now than we're, um, than we're portraying it to be as well. We, we you know, there's some fantastic um, large-scale community club projects going on in this country right now um you know i talk to the guys at milton Keynes a lot i talk to the guys at liverpool a lot i talk to the guys at birmingham a lot doing some incredible work just and and the size of the clubs in the hundreds you know where historically you know it would only be rugby clubs that would have those those levels of membership and and football clubs of course you know cricket clubs so we're we're we're, do, we're doing that kind of thing in it and it's a it's a scalable model and at the point that we can turn around and say that we've got this many clubs and the average size of these clubs is is not 10 12 15 it's 400 500 yeah. 200 you know um and, and we do a, a really good job of presenting that to the right people um as clearly as and simply as we possibly can that's that's where you could you could start to really get changed but i'm not sure we i don't know i'm not i'm not sure we we certainly don't collectively tell that story as a sport and that for me is the starting point we've got to show that we're bigger than people think we are yeah do you think with the uh like cycling for example um not something people necessarily associate with giant amounts of funding um but what they they were they got the results, then they got the big backers like Ineos and Sky and all those sort of things, and because that money came in, 
then people say, hang on a minute, now you're winning medals or you're winning various things. And then the other money followed because they went, now you've made it. Now you get, do you think that's how the BBL is looking? Yeah, but knowing, knowing a bit about how they went about that at the time, they also did a really good job uh, in parallel of, of showing the powers that be how big a participation level this sport actually is. Yep. And they had Sport England's active people surveys uh, showing uh, uh, showing those figures anyway. Uh, by the way, so did we, because our figures, our team sports figures were, were trending number two, number three for years and years. Um, not to the same levels as cycling, swimming, athletics, because anybody, anyone that goes out and runs was in the athletics box. You know, I'm going to have a run tonight. I'm suddenly I'm, I'm in the athletics box. Yeah. So Someone's on a bike. Yeah, cycling to work. No, yeah, that's it. They do, count. Do you ever cycle? Are you cycling? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that and that is broadly speaking because it's all done on phone call survey, surveys. That's how the active people surveys have worked over all these years. Under different names now, but uh, um, and it and it is it is ultimately a bit about how you package it up. A bit about what the powers that be in politics and media want to do and don't want to do and don't want to take risks on or perceived what is a perceived risk for me i don't see any risk you know i see nearly three thousand people coming to our venue yeah absolutely and also like as an example the on sky sports arena you had the bbl trophy final and it was uh in birmingham and there was some traveling fans but generally the people from birmingham went to watch that yeah that game but yeah. it was great the coverage was great i absolutely loved it paul you'll like this i've actually sent an email to sky sky sports complaining <laughs> complaining <laughs> that they need to do more articles about basketball because if you go on sky sports you look at say football you'll then have all the leagues all the information when you go, there is no basketball, it's just NBA. And it's really irritating because you think, you know, Sky Sports are the pinnacle of sport in the UK. And for basketball, the focus is a league in America, which an article will get written once every two, three weeks. Mm. Um, and you think, why don't you put basketball, you can put the NBA leagues in there, but BBL. MBL, put those in there. I even said at the end, I will write the articles for the BBL if you, because we're talking about them. We're yeah. talking about them all. It, it wouldn't take that long. No. A couple of hours. There you go. There's your week's articles. Um, I haven't had a response that, that, yet. No, no. And that comes back to the, um, what I was saying earlier about just, be, just because it's not there doesn't mean we're not trying super, super hard to get certain organizations to change the way they're working but it's really hard to get them to change particularly particularly um organizations that are uh, truly truly commercial and are in a an environment that's getting harder and harder every year you know you see you see newspapers the regional news has, has gone like this tv radio and press um so so that's telling you that staff bases in, in media are going like this. Yeah. Yep. So anything, anything, I mean, you're offering to do it for them. It should, should serve as a solution, but somebody still has to press the button. Yeah. Up- it, upload it. Make sure it's acceptable, et cetera, et cetera. 
so so it's not the easiest i'm not giving them an excuse but it's not the easiest thing no to do i get it i get it now there is an organization that isn't commercial and doesn't do it and i and i cannot accept that yeah it, it it's have you been on bbc sports basketball page recently yeah don't do that yeah don't <laughs> I didn't even go on that one. Like, literally, I, I always go BBL. But it comes back to what you said about the, I mean, there's been things about Channel 4 recently, how they may wind up or people don't know, they might privatise because of all these shrinkages and everything going on because of their yeah. audiences. But I think what's really interesting is that what you mentioned earlier about the TV rights and the winding in of money, the old money with the football it was always in that. When you look at the NBA, where's the money? It's in the TV rights and the licensing. That's right. But with the That's NBA, right. it's unusual because Sky have the rights for the UK, but the NBA will still send me a message saying, do you want to buy a league pass? Well, hang on a minute. That means you're getting double bubble because you're paying Sky rights for something and I don't have Sky, so I'm paying in that way, but they're still getting probably a per head token for me. Yeah, it's a very, it's a very, it's a very uh, complex, uh, clever market, you know. Um, but it is a house of cards because at some point you go, how many people actually turned on the NBA or Sky? And at some point they'll say, well, we'll pull our money out, which is why the NBA put so much money into league passes and so forth. The league, league pass is the ultimate um, management of your own destination because it's yes. their picture and they're, and they're selling that picture, you know, via the, via, um, you know, global internet. So they, they've got full control of that process. Yep. And the money goes directly back to the league, so it's the, it's the best. Ultimately, if you can do that, plus then syndicate your picture to uh, to channels across the world, then then that's the right way to be selling your your pro sport. And and in fairness to Aaron, that that's exactly what he's trying to do. He's yeah, uh, you know the work that he's done in syndicating across the the, the channels that we're on in the states now is incredible. Yeah, well, I was going to say that's a nice segue into the, your new, the yeah. new, I say the new partners, but where's 777 coming in? They've been in yeah. a few years now. Well, a lot of our listeners are from the States. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, yeah right. we've got loads right. from, we got all over Japan, all sorts of places, but all yeah, over the world, but there's loads from the America, world, yeah. loads from the States. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. That is the end of this part. But do not worry because coming soon is the second part of this episode and it will be available soon.